Welcome to Uncontained, episode 198. Um, before we jump into the episode, a lot has happened since uh, the last episode I put out. Yes, we're still dealing with corona, but I would also like to send out my condolences to the Floyd family and uh, also my support to the peaceful protesters out there, those that are looting. Well, as you've heard many people say, it's kind of diluting the uh, purpose of the protest, but... Uh, my support is with the peaceful protesters for the racial equality and, uh, yeah, the stop, the stopping of, uh, the brutality out there. So, uh, before we get into the show, I just had to get that out the way. I hope everybody out there is safe, staying safe and, uh, out of harm's way and, uh, staying peaceful about everything. So, uh, with that being said, I do have a fun episode for you. I have a uh, musician out of L.A. who describes the sound as the L.A. sound, L.A. pop sound, kind of a more, more mature pop sound, which you'll hear hear the song that he has at the end of the show. The song's name is Champagne Overflow, and uh, I'll play a sample of it before we jump into the interview with my guest Sylvan De La Cruz today. But uh, we talk about a lot in this episode it's kind of a longer one i've noticed some of my conversations during the whole covid19 things have been a little bit longer than they typically have been but uh, one of the main things we cover is a mentorship he has developed with hb barnum who is a pioneer and legend in the motown and uh, Capitol Records, um, working with acts such as Aretha Franklin, Lou Rawls, Barry White, and even Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. So he's got a wide variety of, of who he's worked with and some iconic names as well. And we talk about how H.B. Barnum has helped, uh, helped mold his career and vocal style as well. Um, Sylvan was kind of a late bloomer into the music scene and he said the mentorship has really helped him catch up. I don't want to go too much into detail right now uh, because we got a whole long show ahead of us uh, talking about some really cool things that uh, finding the right mentor can do for you and uh, some doors that have been opened for him. So I don't want to keep you waiting much longer but please if you are able to help support artists at this time uh, where they aren't able to play out please do so check out their uh, patreon pages buy albums online or single tracks as well and you can do that with uh, sylvan's track champagne overflow and also if you want to support the show there's a couple ways you can do it uh, when you're shopping on Amazon, just click that banner at the top of the page and do your shopping that way. It will help kick that way. Or you can visit my Patreon page as well. Enough of the um, begging for change portion of the show. Let's get on with the interview. But first, here's a sample of Champagne Overflow by Sylvan De La Cruz. Sylvan, 
How are you doing today, man? And thank you for coming on the show. I'm doing okay, man. Uh, hanging in there uh, like everyone else right now. I think I, I feel like I'm still waking up and at, the, well, and at the same time feeling a little jittery from the coffee that I've had. Yeah, man. It's, what, one in the afternoon right now and I'm still <laughs> drinking coffee. Okay. So I can't. I can't say anything about that. So it's kind of like, you know, fuel for the day. I I have to have it come throughout the day or else I I just end up crashing. I don't know. Maybe it's an addiction. (laughs) But but thank you for coming on, dude. And uh, enough talk about being addicted to coffee. So what have you been doing uh, since we've been in this forced lockdown? Well, uh, I... Uh, I heard uh, an, another uh, woman music artist on your show recently, and she kind of said she's an introvert or something like that. She kind of spends a lot of time alone at her place. Was it Sammy? It, it might have been. I don't recall her name, but it was probably the most recent one that you did. I think she's from the Bay Area, maybe. Okay, yeah, Sammy Free. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, the stay-at-home, I, I kind of live like a stay-at-home lifestyle, right? Because I, okay. I do have a day job. But when I come home from work, it's all about music. Um, I just come home, immediately sit down at the piano, get into it, and uh, that's it. That's kind of like the cycle. Uh, It's all about work, music, my bed, over and over and over again. And so, um, (laughs) repeat. yeah, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, negative aspects, of course, uh, regarding the stay at home and the pandemic and stuff. Um, but as far as as far as the stay at home itself, it really is not that different for me, because it's just for me it's just okay. all about music and practicing, and trying to learn and just trying to get good at what I'm doing. All right, very cool, man. So, you know, some people it actually doesn't affect too much in that way, but it at least gives you a little extra time where you can work on uh, work on playing piano. I'm sure. Is your is your day job music related no, at no. all or? Yeah, it's something completely different. All right. I have to do that as well. But so let's talk about your music right now. So you have kind of an interesting throwback style of pop, I'll call it. Most of the time I can come up with a name to relate something to, but I think I said this on the Sammy episode that you listened to as well. It's kind of hard to put a finger on it. I've listened to um, your Champagne Overflow track that you sent out, and I listened to the new one you sent me just the other day as well. Like, how would you go about describing your music since I'm failing to put a finger on the pulse of it? Well, I mean, most basically, I just sometimes call it um, piano pop because I think it's kind of, for the most part, initially it started out as just like piano-based music as opposed to like guitar-based rock. Okay. So I would call it p- piano pop or or, uh, or just an indie pop. Okay. It's not really like top 40 pop for young people. I mean, I also think of it as like pop music for people over 30. Pop music for people over 30. All right. So were people like Carrie Connick Jr. or like other like crooner type people like influences to you? Or what got well, you into this style of music? Well, I mean, he, he kind of is like a retro, retro-y type yeah. guy, right? Um, of, course I'm a, of course, I'm a fan of like jazz music and the, 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 jazz, the standards and Sinatra and Nat Cole and Ella Fitzgerald and, and you know, Contemporaries like Nora Jones and uh, Harry Connick Jr. and Michael Bublé. I mean, I like the, I like all those folks a little bit too. Um, 
but um, I mean, my my style kind of I think is rooted more in like the LA classic pop music scene of like Brian Wilson, okay, Beach Boys, that, you know, the, and the Carpenters, gotcha. kind of just straightforward, clean pop music, pretty melodies, and then also like a what they call the L.A. sound that came out of the Laurel Canyon music yeah, scene. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. that. What is the L.A. sound? Um, I mean, it's a pretty broad term, I think, but uh, some of the bands that kind of helped formulate that, you know, bands like uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, okay. uh, Jackson Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, uh, Carol King, uh, artists like that that came to L.A. And, and even like a, even Fleetwood Mac recorded some stuff here, Elton John. Um, are kind of almost like connected to that LA sound scene, just that okay. 70s clean pop sound. But yeah, it is still uh, pretty broad classic. going Joni Mitchell yeah. to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got you, man. I got you. So um, now one of the cool things that you sent me, a little uh, interesting fact, is uh, you teamed up with uh, somebody who has some major clout in the music industry, H.P. H.P. Barnum, right? Yeah. How yeah. how did that come across? And you want to like tell like he's worked with some iconic people in Absolutely. the music yeah. industry. So want to tell a little bit about him and how you made that connection because that's pretty awesome. So I, I met H.P. in Hollywood, where where I live, and where actually where he lives. And um, every year on Thanksgiving Day, he um, he hosts and produces, so to speak, a like a Thanksgiving dinner for families in need and homeless folks. Okay. So on, so on, it's not like before the holiday or after the holiday. It's like right on the holiday. He, us, he gets an army of amazing volunteers, donations, and they cook like 75 to 80 turkeys, and they serve like about 800 people. So I met him uh, by attending, by going to that event to help out. Okay. And, uh, so that's where I met him. And then I kind of like little by little started finding out, okay, who he was. And so he's been doing that Thanksgiving dinner for needy families for like about 30 years in Hollywood. And uh, then just, just, I didn't really know who he was at the time, but little by little, I just started just getting familiar with who he was, what his background is. And, and then I would kind of research him myself. And uh, so that's how I kind of met him initially. And then, uh, he, uh, a little bit after that, uh, he kind of invited me to join Life Choir, which is the choir that he directs. It's kind of like okay. a non, it's kind of like a somewhat churchy, somewhat secular just choir. It's like a nonprofit organization. They perform secular gigs. They perform at churches. So it's not like a pure uh, church gospel choir. It's just like a nonprofit organization. Uh, we perform at non-church events as well as church events. So, you know, he asked me, he invited me to join the choir and I kind of wanted to get more experience as a singer. And uh, so I just joined up with them. I've been with them for almost two years now, maybe actually about two, about a year and a half I've been with them. And uh, there's a lot of amazing people in there, people that have their own choirs, people that are music instructors, people that have had backgrounds in, in, in music, uh, there's one, there's one of the choir members, she used to sing backup for Ike and Tina Turner. Um, another, really? another uh, his H.B. Barnum's sister, Billy Barnum, 
sang backup, was a, like a, was a pretty big uh, backup session singer. And she sang backup like on recordings for like Pink Floyd and uh, Humble Pie and U2 and, and all these people. So just going along, getting to know these people, there's always like these little amazing things revealed to me. And I'm just like, you know, we, we grew up as big music fans. So every time I would hear like who this person was and how amazing they were, it just kind of would just always blow me away. And that was just like nonstop. So it was the same thing with HB. I would just constantly be learning new things and new things. And it was just like, there was never a moment when I, where I wasn't learning something new about him that just wouldn't completely blow me away. And uh, so uh, he's, that's awesome. Yeah. He's kind of been like, a, he's become like a, a mentor to me. He's like a good friend. Uh, he's like an amazing music mentor to me. Uh, we could have like these great conversations about music and creating music and singing and about the music business and what it takes to get better and working hard and being uh, dedicated to what, to your craft and, and, and performing and singing like with conviction. You know, he'll tell us in the choir, you got to sing with some conviction. You know? So that's, yeah. Make people believe what you're singing. Yeah. So that's something that from the choir that I, that I bring, that I bring, you know, to my own personal performance and like rehearsal and practice and development. Nice, man. So that's really cool that he brought you in and you're meeting this whole like cast of amazing musicians that have worked with all these yeah. people. Like, first of all, have, have you been able to make other connections through this choir? Not like real big people in the music industry, um, but just uh, all of these people. Um, there's uh, like one of the singers was also like a part of that that like a R&B group, the platters. Right. So there's, there's just okay. like all these people in the choir that are either, they're very, they're musically trained. Uh, they're instructors at music institutes. Uh, they have had uh, careers more in the past because most of the choir members, um, you know, they're older, like uh, middle-aged and even elderly African-American folks that have already had like careers. And uh, I'm kind of like the, the new guy coming in. And it's, you know, I'm coming from from growing up on classic rock and, and that music being influenced by like that, like I was talking about Brian Wilson and the Carpenters. And then I get thrown into the mix with these folks that, that perform a type of music that's more soulful. Um, and uh, so I think that I wouldn't say that I've made like these amazing music uh, profession connections. It's just been like it's just been like yeah. this really profound uh, opportunity for me to really learn about how to become a better singer, how to become a better performer, how to really put your heart and soul into your artistry. You know, I mean, because gospel music, man, right? I mean, gospel music—it's um, just all about the soul. It's all about channeling. It's yes, all sir. about channeling from your heart and soul, and using that physical body that instrument that you have to kind of just sing it man just let it out to unleash it to liberate yourself and so uh, you know and to repeat again answering your question i wouldn't say that i've met really a, a lot of people in the music industry through the choir um though he does though hb does have like you know connections to major labels and you know lots of artists um you know at capitol records at motown records um, you know, recently, 
in Hollywood uh, over on Sunset Boulevard and Argyle Street. Uh, we recently dedicated um, Barry Gordy Square. And Barry Gordy, of course, is the founder of Motown Records. Cool. And, and then, uh, so, you know, Barry Gordy's family was there, HB, worked very, you know, worked at Motown Records. Was it uh, Stevie Wonder showed up and sang happy birthday to, to uh, you know, to Barry Gordy. That's really cool to have Stevie Wonder saying happy birthday to you. That's <laughs> yeah, not to, to me, not to me, about. but to Barry Gordy, but <laughs> to be there, but to be there on the street, a few blocks from my place in Hollywood with Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown Records. And you know all these people, and uh, and uh, Stevie Wonder, the impromptu version of Happy Birthday, and it's just like, so just I just been that they kind of allowed me to come into them, and this the realm of the culture, of soul music and R and B music and gospel music and church church music, you know, and uh, like uh, Ray Ray Charles is, uh, you know, I forget his name, but the Ray Charles's manager. Passed away, la- passed away last summer. I- I- I'm sorry, I- I'm forgetting his name. Um, but he was a-, a big part of Ray Charles' success in music-, music business. And he had passed away last summer. So we performed at his you know, services, so to speak. And, uh, and just that they have allowed, that they have invited me. They've opened their doors and in a very beautiful, friendly, communal way. They have invited me into the realm of this beautiful, beautiful culture that I could learn from, that you know, that I can, that can is going to help me grow as a musician. When on the other side, I'm into more like you know, like white music artists, like Brian Wilson, like Brian Wilson and the Carpenters. You can't get any more white than the Carpenters. Um, but, <laughs> Not really, no. Or even, or even a lot, or even a lot of classic rock, like all the British classic rock bands that we grew up with, right? Yeah. The British and the British Invasion artists, you know, all those '70s British rock bands that we were into, and. And just, I mean, I love music of all eras. Um, so, but but what influences my music, like a, that LA sound, and also like a lot of Brit Brit pop, like all those '90s Brit pop rock okay. bands, uh, all that stuff that influences me. That's that's mostly like you know white folks creating that music. But then it really kind of almost like helped me break the mold, right? Getting in into this gospel choir and meeting all these people and getting schooled. Really getting schooled. It was like a master class, really, because H.B. Barnum is kind of like a behind-the-scenes legend. He's he's a composer, he's a producer, he's a music arranger, and uh, you know he's uh, he uh, you know I, I kind of wanted to mention I kind of wanted us to mention that um, uh, that little little Richard passed away today. Today, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and oh wow, and he, I hadn't heard that yet. So and so of course you know little Richard came out of the church too, you know, and just like all those soul singers like Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and, and uh, you know, and, and Aretha Franklin, right? All these singers came out of the church, but, you know, he, uh, Little Richard passed away, unfortunately. H.B. Barnum was very close to Little Richard. Um, they used to tour. Did you have a chance to meet Little Richard? You know what? I, I didn't. I didn't, unfortunately. But, well, you know what, man? It didn't occur to me because, like, it didn't occur to me, like, uh, Ever in my conversations with HB, like, hey, do you know Little Richard? No, but because that's something at this point, I'm like, uh, HB shared a photo that he had taken with uh, with Little Richard, um, like from twenty from 2013, and then he kind of talked about, you know, we used to tour with the Beatles in Europe before the Beatles broke in the United States, right? 
and uh, yeah. and so so he goes way back then, and he's just um, you know has this incredible background, and um, he's he's just this monumental talent that has influenced you know popular music and a lot of uh, virtually every rock musician that ever picked up a, a guitar. In the way uh, HB has been a mentor to me, it just kind of blew me away, like the chance that someone like me, who's like a late bloomer, you know, um, at this stage of my life, like how did that happen? How did this guy come into my life? Who, who's this, this uh, behind the scenes legend that knows everything? Because when we're working with the choir on the spot, he could arrange, there's like 30, there's 30 of us at the choir, right? And we all sing like a baritone, tenor, second tenor, alto, second alto, uh, soprano, right? And on, and on the spot, he can arrange four yeah. or five part harmonies like within minutes. And he'll be, and he'll be like, okay, uh, uh, baritones wow. or, or tenors, Play, sing, sing this, da, 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 da. second tenor, sing this, alto, sing this, second alto, sing this, uh, soprano, sing this. And we all take turns and then I'll say, okay, together, or you guys together, and then we bring it together. And so he's such a phenomenal talent. And I'm just, to me, it's just, I'm kind of completely blown away. How did this happen to me? How did, uh, how did the guy who was Aretha Franklin's music director for over 20 years become my mentor, you know? And how, and how... And how did the guy that was uh, Ray Charles's music I know, director that's awesome. become my mentor? And and uh, how did the guy who was like this phenomenal talent, you know, that toured with Count Basie and that worked with Sinatra, you know, uh, and all these artists at Capitol Records and Motown Records, like how did this happen? Like it was like a gift. Like you know, I try to be humble and about it and just be thankful and grateful. And because it's it's because it's been a big part of my musical development recently, and just like it's just like feel like so grateful that he's been such an incredible friend and mentor to me. And that is amazing, man. That's uh, so cool that you've got the chance to learn from somebody like that as well. But now you were influenced by white music, um, working with uh, the more gospel music and the more soulful music. Has that influenced what you put out as a musician? I, I, I think that's a great question because I think it's something that I'm thinking about right now, you know. And, you know, um, when I was right, like, in the middle of the period that I had been in the choir, um, I love reading books and I like to read books about different things, but I love reading biographies of all our musical heroes, yeah. right? And so, so I, you know... Uh, I, I found this book called Sweet Soul Music, right? And it was just about like all the great um, uh, record companies, the record labels, uh, like Stax Records that started over there in the South, right? Uh, in, in Memphis and Alabama and, and in Georgia, all the music artists and all the record labels over there, all those great artists that came out of the church, um, you know, Otis Redding and this, Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin, people that yeah. I mentioned already. And, and, then when I'm, when I, and then I'm reading this book and reading the history of these people. And then, I'm, then I go back to YouTube and I listen to all their music. And I'm just like, wow, it's like that. Like, I kind of like, I want to sing like that. You know, I want to <laughs> sing soulful and stuff like that. So, so and I, I think that through the, through the choir, we sing gospel music, which is soulful, you know, because 
soul music is really church music. It's really soul music really is comes from the church. The only difference is with gospel church music, it's like religious connected lyrics. Yeah. You take that style, you take that style of singing and put secular lyrics like Ray Charles and Little Richard did and it becomes like soul music or rock and roll. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, that's what all, the, all those artists did that. They started in the church. They got their music education in the church. And they kind of, you know, they, came, they made a move to pop music, right? And so, but in learning about all that stuff, um, I'm just thinking, wow, you know, uh, I'd love to sing with a little more heart and a little more push. A little more and diaphragm. A little more soul, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the interesting thing about the choir is we sing both um, – both gospel songs and we do sing some popular songs like Aretha Franklin songs or okay. uh, Ray Charles Ray Charles songs but we also sing like classical choir songs right so for me physically in the choir it's just like expanding my vocal range and and learning how to open up my voice and sing with some clarity and tone and how to just be a better singer but as a big music fan of course like Sam Cooke and Otis Redding you know, are, are an influence on me. And I think that I'm still trying to formulate my, with, with who I am as a songwriter, you know? And, uh, and I'm not going to say like, oh, Brian Wilson is an influence on me or the Carpenters and I'm going to kind of like emulate that style. It's yeah. Like, I think that people can't really, I, I asked my friends recently, like, well, who do I sound like? Right. And they're just like, they can't really, they can't really think of it. Out of all the people I've shared these two upcoming releases with, just one girl said, you know, kind of Champagne Overflow kind of reminds me of the Smiths, you know. And um, But uh, aside from that, no one could really get back to me with an answer. So I, I don't even say that I sound like Brian Wilson or the Carpenters or Crosby, Stills, Nash. Those, those artists were an influence on me as far as like the beauty of, of melody, you know. Mel yeah. You know? They, cra they crafted beautiful vocal melodies, right? So, and uh, and then on the other side with the soul singers, these beautiful catchy melodies with some heart and soul. And I think that I'm kind of just like maybe growing as a music writer, as a songwriter. And I think that I'm still working my way through those styles. You know, still discovering. Okay, is it piano pop or or is it an LA sound or like? What kind of artist am I? So that's why I'll broaden it up and say it's piano pop or it's indie or it's indie pop, right? I mean Exactly. Give it a little bit of a broader spectrum of range yeah. that people can. And to and to get back to your question again very quickly, it's like I think that I think that that's, that style of a little more soul heart and soul, I think it's gonna emerge in my songwriting. Not completely that style, but it's gonna blend into what I'm doing. That's helping me become like a unique sounding artist. And, uh, and one, one thing that I kind of do want to mention, I started, I started learning uh, music theory and piano about three years ago by watching YouTube videos, right? Oh, and really? so from, from, you know, from point A, man, just, you know, stay, stay at home lifestyle, just come home and work on music <laughs> relentlessly, right? So I, I, yeah. I, from, from how to do scales and figure out what keys my songs are in and learning music theory to being able to write songs and, and figure out what keys my songs are in and, and to create harmony. 
But one thing that I can't really do, uh, that I'm maybe just getting to the point, I can't really sing full voice if I'm sitting at the piano. You know what I mean? Is it the sitting down or is it the connection of making your hands move where you want them to and your voice do what you want them to? I think it's both. I think it's both, you know, like if, if I was like Ray Charles or Elton John who were playing, uh, you know, piano since the time they're five years old. Right. Yeah. I'd probably have my act together as a singer pianist. Right. Probably. But because I've been <laughs> because I've been learning, but because I've been learning piano for three years and I'm writing songs and then I, I do like to write verses that sound nice. But every time when I get to the change in the song or the hook, yeah. the hook, as, as HB calls it. I really try to step it up a notch emotionally. You know what I mean? Okay. I Take it you. up higher higher in the key to bring some more heart because that, that adds a, a nice dynamic to your song, right, for the listener and for the performance of it. But I still have trouble, like, singing singing full voice when I'm sitting at the piano. But, but um, about three or four months ago, I kind of thought, you know what, it might be kind of cool and kind of fun and refreshing if I bought an acoustic guitar and started playing acoustic guitar and started learning my songs on the guitar. Yeah. And uh, so I did that. And I went over to Guitar Center in Hollywood. I bought a nice kind of Yamaha guitar. And then I was like, okay, I started learning my songs on guitar. And for some reason, um, it seems to be easier to sing when I'm playing guitar. Sitting down or even standing up, playing my acoustic guitar, I could kind of get into it more physically this whole thing it's like this vocal physical instrument thing i could kind of somehow unify it and then it, somehow it allows me to sing like full voice in a way that's easier than when i'm sitting at the piano and just trying to like but i think maybe maybe if i'm performing that maybe with a guitar right maybe if i'm performing with a guitar that's going to let a little more of that heart and soul out and get up into that higher range. Uh, that's it's kind of for some reason it's easier when you're when I'm playing guitar, playing my songs on guitar. For some reason, I, I don't know what it maybe is. Maybe it's yet. the body movements with maybe, it or what? No, maybe it is. Maybe it's a little. I don't know. I can't. Have you tried standing up playing the piano? Uh, like, like you know how like in like you see like uh, little Richard no, do yeah, or like yeah. whatever in some performances <laughs> where they're like just rocking uh, out on the no, piano. No. Definitely about maybe another <laughs> maybe another five years away from being able to play the high notes with my right foot while I'm jamming out. Baby steps, yeah. baby steps. <laughs> All right, man. So I kind of see like your style developing as a sponge in a yeah. way. You know, you soaked up a lot of the uh, LA sound, as you called it. Now you're moving that. We'll call that like the orange juice or something like that like like sponge on the counter like wiping across you wipe up some orange juice you wipe up <laughs> some uh peach juice some grape juice and everything and it all comes yeah. into this one sponge and you yeah. wring it out and you got this combination hopefully it's a clean <laughs> sponge so you could try yeah. drinking it but <laughs> but that's kind of just what i was visualizing as you were going through it like that sponge across the counter collecting yeah. all these and, and you can kind of you can kind of see like there's a different vibe on the two songs that i sent you um you know champagne overflow definitely has a nice clean certain sound but rancho los feliz has more like of a, a retro sound i think um so and then i'm thinking okay am i going to do one of those sounds or the other am i going to start blending those styles together 
at what point is soul a soulful sound going to start working its way in? So um, I'm, reco- I'm, I'm recording actually a third single with my producer right now. And uh, my producer, who's uh, Sandy Chow Wang, uh, and so she's kind of arranging a new, uh, one of the songs that I've sent a demo. I demoed one of my new songs, sent it to her. She's busy arranging it. And, uh, and I don't know, okay, what is this song going to sound like in comparison to Champagne Overflow and Rancho Los Feliz? So I think that, you know, I'm going to be blending all those styles. As you said, like it's like when you squeeze that, that sponge of influence out, it's, it's probably going to have a lot of different influences and, and different sounds. And I don't think it's going to settle on one or the other. I think I'll, I'll have like my own personal little spectrum of sound. And then that's going to be me. Cool. I, I kind of like that idea. I look forward to hearing how your, your music changes slightly as you gain more influence and bring that into it. Obviously, I'm not expecting you to put out like a Little Richard song. Mm, that's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. That's a good point. You so, could so. if you wanted to. I'm not doubting that. But like to stay true to who you are that's but pick fun, up man. other influences, you want to just add layers <laughs> on top. At least that's what I'm – That's that's the way I would do it if I could play music. Well, but... <laughs> that, that's, that's funny that you say that because um, when I was, because, you know, I found out little Richard passed away this, uh, uh, this morning and I'm sharing stuff about him on my social media. And then, uh, and then I was like, you know what, today it's all about little Richard music. So I find his music, I'm streaming his music and I'm thinking, gosh, I should learn one of his songs on my, on my, my guitar. And then, but, but recently during the stay at home, I have been watching like countless hours of bands that, that we know. I like I recently I've been listening to a lot of the Smiths. Uh, okay. I, I went back to listen to a lot of like Tears for Fears. Uh, and then I moved on to Pink Floyd and their really big guitar sound, which is really beautiful. And then recently, uh, uh, and actually even before, you know, a little bit before that, a lot of uh, Jackson Brown. And then I moved on to like a lot of Bob Dylan over the past week, lots of Bob Dylan. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know what? Bob Dylan is great. I want to be Bob Dylan. And I was like, I should, I should, I should <laughs> learn a Bob Dylan song or a Jackson Brown song. But then I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. And just on that impulse, because I'm a very like uh, spontaneous, like, oh my god, that sounds great. Let, I should learn one of his songs. Um, and then it, it just, you know, when I'm listening to Little Richard, I was like, if I'm doing my songs, it would be cool to drop a Little Richard rock and roll song in there. So maybe at some point when I get a little more proficient at guitar, maybe. I'll play six of my songs and I'll drop a Bob Dylan song in there and a Little Richard song or a, maybe maybe a, maybe a Frank Sinatra song or a Nat King Cole song. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Right. I'm very cool, man. Very cool. That's, a, that's the beauty of it. You can change to do, add whatever influence you want, man. So um, now you have two singles coming out already. You mentioned you're working on the third. You want to, like, I am going to be playing um champagne overflow at the at the end of the show I had a little sample at the beginning that you guys have already heard what what inspired i guess to do put these two specific songs out what what inspired inspired oh, you to okay so those? so this is this is another interesting story and an hb barnum connection okay so hb barnum is a and he's an elderly gentleman and he's he's retired he's been there done that uh, a couple of years ago i asked him Oh, uh, did you go to the Academy Awards show? And he's like, "No, I already been there, done that." And then, uh, so he's 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 done. He has done that. You know, he's been a professional musician since you know since he was like his late teens, right? Capitol Records, Motown Records, in the seventies yeah. with all those artists, and to the eighties. 
So he's essentially retired, but he still is very active socially. He's still the music director of the choir. We perform like charity gigs, right? And he uh, he's he's the most generous human being I've ever met. He's so giving. He never says no. You know, on on a on Christmas last Christmas, um, I think I was like sick with the flu or something, and. Uh, and he he lives in the hall. He has like the most classic Hollywood Hills Mulholland Drive house, right? And uh, yeah. that's a whole other story. But so he has like this house that overlooks like has like a pool, and it overlooks like all of Hollywood and, and L.A. And then, but so he's an elderly guy. He's like been there, done that. He has this amazing house in the Hollywood Hills. On Christmas Day, because I couldn't get out, he put a he put a holiday meal together for me and drove it all the way down to deliver it to my house, right? So so he did that for me. And he's an that's elderly awesome. guy that's been there, done that, who lives in this phenomenal house in the Hollywood Hills. And he's like, you know, he's in his, he's like in his early 80s right now, right? And so, and so like, this, this guy yeah. is so generous and kind. And then so my point, I'm getting to the point where he offered to produce some, some songs for me, right? Right, the guy that worked with all these legends oh, awesome. and all these legendary record stores, and I'm just like, so "Are you kidding me? Let's do it!" You know. So we kind of started on the project, and um, and it kind of was kind of was moving kind of slowly, and uh, and I was kind of like, um, "Is this going to work? Is it?" Um, you know, he's kind of busy helping a lot of other people uh, socially. He's doing a lot of stuff supporting other artists that are performing in town, and. Um, and he could he he couldn't really commit himself full on just to, to me, and and I wouldn't and I wouldn't ask him to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he he yeah without being able to pay him to do it. Well, well, I mean, he offered to help me for free. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. Exactly. And and then so we started working on some stuff with with a young with a young engineer that he he's got a studio up at his place in the Hollywood Hills. That that rapper Ludacris, you know, uh, Ludacris the rapper, yeah, I know him. Inv- invested invested some money into sprucing up the studio, right? So we're so Ludacris wasn't on the scene, but we're we're in the studio with HB and the, and the engineer Austin, and uh, we're working on some demos of my songs, and then uh, it's just like a it just ended up being like a very slow process, and and I I wasn't gonna like pound on HB's door and say hey HB. Because a lot of people come to him still yeah. and say, "Hey, produce my songs or help me out or Hey, listen to my teenage daughter's demo and connect, <laughs> connect her to connect her to major labels." And and he's so generous and kind and giving. He wants to be able to help everybody, you know. Yeah. And and because he's retired, um, it's like I don't want to I don't want to be like that to him. He's retired, you know, and he works hard and he's still very active. I don't want to be like. Hey, make me a star, or make me somebody, or hey, send my demo, send my demo to the major labels. It just, it's just like I, I was sitting, I was sitting at his place, watching his big, watching the Laker game on his big, on his big screen TV, and he's just chilling, <laughs> and he's just chilling, and then, I, and I was just watching him, and he's such a beautiful, soulful human being, and I was just like, you know what? Let let him enjoy his retirement, man. You know what I mean? Why, when he's socially active, when he's out going to other people's gigs to be supportive when he's helping other people record their music when he's directing the choir when he's when he's producing the the charity thanksgiving every year when he's doing all these things hosting barbecues at his place for all the friends and family and 
just doing all this stuff, I was just like, you know what? He's such a beautiful soul. I need to respect. I need to take a step back. Don't be selfish, man. He's already given you so much. I'm sure he appreciates. Maybe that, he does. Whether he says you know? it or not. We never really talked. We never really talked about it. I kind of, kind of eased. I kind of eased back out of the out of the project, you know. And uh, and I came I came across some issues that also contributed to me that kind of like pausing the project I was working on with him. But we we did record some stuff, and he was just arranging these beautiful strings and just all these things. So I had sent him about eight demos, and we chose a couple of songs. When when we paused that project, I was like, okay, I need to find another music director that I'm gonna that I'm gonna actually record with and see it through, right? Because I had I had to kind of I had to yeah. move on, still under the mentorship and friendship and then the gospel choir with HB, but flying out of the nest, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's time for me to to get kicked gotcha. out of the nest, man. <laughs> they, they've taught me so much. I've worked so hard on my own. You know, stand up and just do do your own thing. Get it done, right? So, okay, so I went through, I met some music directors, and, and then I, I, I uh, met, uh, I had known Sandy Chow, uh, Sandy Wang Chow, and uh, she, uh, we, had, we had a meeting, and she came on board, and I was like, well, I don't really want to send her all the same demos that, uh, that I sent to HB. Let me, uh, let me just start from scratch, and let me pull these other four songs from my, from my, song, from my collection and send those to her. And then she and I will will decide what songs we want to record, right? So, um, so we yeah. kind of chose. We kind of settled on. Okay, we were thinking. Okay, Champagne Overflow is kind of a nice, fairly catchy song, and uh, Rancho Los Feliz was a song that I wrote more recently, and uh, they kind of emerged as one of my nicer, catchier, best songs. So we kind of, uh, you know, in my opinion, at least, and so we kind of settled on those two songs. And that's how we got to that point where those are the two songs that we decided to record. You know? Nice, nice. So that's how you got to those. And I think it's cool that you didn't send the same ones that you had H uh, be working on because that could have been viewed as like a slap yeah, in the yeah. face to him in a way. Like, oh, I was working on those with you, but you sent them to somebody else. So I'm, I, whether or not it would have been viewed that way, I think it was a smart move. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, man. Like I got some questions for you though here yet too to help out other people who are looking to kind of get okay. into the entertainment industry. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to get into music? Okay, well, um, as you know, um, when we were kind of younger, listening to whatever indie rock or classic rock or hard rock or whatever it was that we were listening to, it was like a music business that existed back then. And right, and as you know, it's complete. Yeah. The music business has completely shifted, right? And and even though it was probably important to know about the music business back then, it's probably even more important now to learn about the music business. Um, but even going back, I think that if you want to find a level of success, you have to be really committed to your craft and getting better. Whether you're a singer or a guitar player, or a pianist or a songwriter, you have to be willing to like sit down every day and put in the work, you know, the woodshed, as they call it, you know, you have to be committed, you have to be willing yeah. to make sacrifices. It's not easy. You're an artist. You know, it's never easy to be an artist of any kind in this world. But you have to woodshed it. You have to woodshed <laughs> it, man. And you got to be committed to getting better. And you have to be disciplined. You have to be list you have to be open to taking constructive criticism. 
Uh, you have to be a good listener. That's part of it, right? Going into the music business part. Yeah. Um, just learning things, basic things like learning how to copyright your music, learning learning how to sign up with a music publishing organization like ASCAP or BMI, right? Those music publishing organizations. Maybe starting your own music publishing company uh, and registering that company with those music publishing organizations. Um, that's you're protecting your music. You're protecting the rights of your music. And then also, um, the, what else? What else do you learn about music? The, the new music business, uh, getting your social media game uh, set up, right? A lot of people are probably be much better than I am at it. You know, um, I've got a lot of friends and, and followers on Facebook, on Instagram, not so many, uh, on Twitter, even fewer than that, but. You know, it's like you gotta you gotta start, you gotta be patient and build over time, and just set up. A, and also too, um, it might be a good idea at some point to maybe set up your own website. And then also another thing is get yeah. familiar with working with um, with uh, online music distributing companies. Is that for like music placement? Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Okay, so what, like, say for for example, I work I work with a music dis distribution company called DistroKid, right? It's short for okay. uh, distribution DistroKid, right? So, uh, uh, okay. but there's like there's like a number of those type of companies, and what you do is you uh, after your music your music is copyrighted, you send your whatever you want to release, you send it to them, you send them the music file, you send them the artwork, you send them the credits. You send them the lyrics and you send them a release date and then they take all that and then they send it to all the online music streaming services, right? All of the services that we oh, know, nice. all the services that we all know that we all listen to music on, right? And so, and then, uh, so that's what I did for Champagne Overflow. It's going to drop on June 1st and it's going to be available on all those streaming services. So, so now I got to, now I got to gear up and promote, right? That release. Um, so uh, I'm getting like little artwork, uh, promotional photos, and the art, the, the the cover, the single cover artwork, and little little like teaser videos. And I'm getting, I'm working with some videographers to make some affordable, uh, basic videos that I'm gonna get out there. Um, I don't want to spend, okay. I don't want to spend a ton of money when it costs me certain, when it costs me a certain amount of money to record a single. I don't want to spend an equal amount. On, on a video because really to me more it's about the music and the song right you gotta have a good song yeah. and you better be writing some good music that has some good hooks in it and then so that to me that's what it's really more about the music and the song so i don't want to splurge and spend another 1500 or two thousand dollars on a video but it's just like i'd rather i'd rather spend much less on a video and just make like a lyric video is that the best approach for everybody i don't know i, I don't care it's the decision that I made for myself. Everybody else can decide on how you want to do that yourself. But if you rec if you record with and, and spend like fifteen hundred or two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars on a single, you better gear up soon to re to record another single. And then uh, and then if you're spending an equal amount on videos, I mean that's a lot of money, you know. So for myself, I just decided, you know what, put the money into recording good songs that have a good hook in them make them sound pretty man make them sound pretty and then that's it that's the, it's all about the music right <laughs> nice and then and then make a make a lyric video or make a simple video 
you know, and spend less money on it. Just get it out there. It's content. It's content. So, uh, you know, I've covered, I'm covering some copywriting, music publishing, social media, website, music distribution, con creating content for your social media. I'm not the best at that. You know, there's a, there's so many, there's a lot of kids out there. There's a lot of kids out there all over the internet that just have their social media game down, right? I mean, they're, they're creating content. They're creating content know, and they're better singers than I am and they're better guitar players than I am, better pianists than I am. You know what? I'm just like, okay, okay, all you young guns. I'm an older guy. I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. But, <laughs> hey, um, I'm, I'm working hard every day with some discipline. And when I, when I craft a song, it's a damn good song. And when I sing it, I sing with conviction. And I'm fortunate enough to have H.B. Barnum as my master, my Yoda, right? My Yoda <laughs> a music teacher, you know what I mean? H.B. Yoda Barnum. That's a, that's a nickname he should have. <laughs> so, so everything that I'm doing, everything that he's helping me learn and the gospel choir is helping me learn, that's like a master class, right? That's helping me. Definitely. Even, even, the, even the race out a little bit. So there's a lot of young cats, a lot of talent in this country, so much talent, so many great singers and musicians. And I, you know, and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I would always want to share everything that I just shared with you uh, and your audience to young musicians. Learn all this stuff because I think that as an artist of any type, you're hesitant or you lack the desire to learn about the technicalities of the business aspect of it. You know, it's like, it's like doing math. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's like the math, right? It's a, if you're a creative person, you're at high school, you like art class and you like maybe writing class and you like history or social studies, but maybe science and math. Oh, my God, math. I hate math. I'm not good at it. You know, I don't want to <laughs> learn it. I don't want to go to that class. Why do I have to take math? It's like it's the same thing. It's exactly. the same thing. We have that creative mind, whatever part of the brain that is. And on the other side yeah. of that brain is like math and science, right? It's like, no, it's like, well, I can't relate to that. So a lot of, yeah, so, so a lot of young artists, musicians and otherwise, uh, some don't really, are kind of intimidated by it or like a little hesitant to do it. Yeah, I've ran into a lot of uh, people who are yeah. artists feel it kind of cheapens it to sell it, but no, they have to sell it. You know, they feel kind of like they're hassling people in order to get something sold by being like, Hey, will you pay me this? Well, listen, man, I've got a day job and I would prefer not to have a day job. So, so I, so with <laughs> everything that. that I have in the realm of me with music, um, I have to figure it out. I have to get my hustle on, I have to keep getting better. I have to keep trying to write better songs, become better as a singer, become better with my social media and my website, just con better content creator. If I want to transition from having a day job to being a professional musician, and, and, the, and uh, you know, it's like I got to figure it out, man. It's like the big riddle, right? It's the big puzzle. Like, how do I make this happen? You know what? Make it happen. You know, make it happen. Figure it out. Definitely, man. My next question, you actually kind of answered yeah. quite a bit in that one. But if you have anything to add to it, feel free. If it just be repeating, let me know. We can move on. But what are you currently okay. doing to promote yourself? Like you mentioned yeah. a lot of good things already. I used to be a musician, a rock musician, a long, long time ago. Right? In an earlier part of my life, 
And then I was always I was always interested in writing, maybe being a screenwriter, maybe writing uh, you know screenplays, or maybe writing a book, or just that creative. Creative people are always creative in different ways, and so that's the way I was. It just I lost the desire, and I shifted over to my interest in writing and this and that. And then I I didn't play music. I didn't. I sold all my equipment. I didn't play music at all for like seven years. Right. I never, I never thought I would ever come back to music. Oh, wow. I wasn't interested. I wasn't even listening to music. I was, I wanted to write, and then so, um, and I want to tell you as quickly as I can um, how I got what got me back to music. Um, is that so? I was, in, I was gonna, I wanted to write like sure. some, like some romantic comedy screenplays, and I think that I'm sometimes I think I'm a witty, funny guy, right? And then so, uh, so I told myself, okay, you want to write a All comedy. Right you kind of think you're clever and witty and you're a good writer. Why don't you prove it to me and start doing stand-up comedy? So, so I dabbled in stand-up comedy for a few years and then somebody invited me to host burlesque shows. Right. And then, so, um, so then I love jazz music. I love musical theater, like the movie cabaret and Chicago, right. Very cabaret like, and, um, so I was like thinking, you know what? In LA, there's not a show like Cabaret. There's not like, so I, so I started producing a show uh, called uh, The Hollywood Cabaret. Uh, and it was years ago. And it was a very, it was a short, short-lived. And that kind of like, kind of hooked me into to music again, right? And then, uh, and then somebody asked me to produce a cabaret show yeah. for their venue. So I said, yes. And I started writing all these songs and I wrote a show the show fell through. I was like, gee, I have all these songs. Like, what am I going to do now? So I decided to take a handful of those songs. I recorded them and put out a solo jazz EP in 2018. And then when I released that, I didn't gear up and play these jazz songs with a band. I immediately shifted to the songs that I'm working on right now. It was like a, it was a quick organic shift, right? So now um, during the jazz music that I put out, I created like a, a, a Facebook music page, right? And then we used to, the, the, okay. the Instagram page that I now run used to be the Hollywood Cabaret page. I shifted it over from being the Hollywood Cabaret show to Sylvan Dela Cruz for the, to promote the jazz EP that I pull out, put out as a solo artist. And then um, I was thinking, you know what? It's really hard uh, to make any money from, from jazz, you know, it's even more hard because the, the jazz audience, <laughs> jazz music is great. I love it. I still want to play jazz, but the audience is very small for jazz. It's it's not easy making a living as a, a jazz artist, let alone just starting out and trying to establish yourself, right? So, um, so but anyways, yeah. but going up to what I'm going to be releasing now, you said, how am I pro promoting my promoting my stuff, right? Well, through the jazz music, I, yeah. I set up my social media. I set up my website. Uh, I learned about how to hustle and get stuff out there, how to create content. But now, but now what I'm doing is just shifting my focus of content to my pop songs, you know. And so I'm taking that uh, and I'm creating content to promote my upcoming releases. I'm working with a graphics des graphic designer. Uh, and I'm working with a photographer, and I'm working with videographers that are going to help me create content, right? Uh, videos and, and singles, artwork, and, and all that stuff. So it's all that stuff online, 
all the content that you have to create um, and just turning on uh, your, your friends and your coworkers and your family. That's the initial base of every musician, right? Everybody there has to know. Everybody there yeah, has to definitely. know. And then if you really want to kind of gain a level of success, you really have to not rely on those people. You have to break out. You have to break out and go <laughs> beyond them and do not rely on those people because nobody made a lot of money or found any kind of fame or success in music by purely relying on their fa friends, family, and coworkers. They're only going to go to so many of they're only going to go to so many of exactly. your gigs, right? Right. Even even your girlfriend <laughs> is like even your girlfriend is going to only want to be dragged along to your shows so many times, right? Very true. So, Very true. So, but you have to make sure that they at least know that you're what you're doing, your family, your friends, and your coworkers. They have to be aware, and then you have to kind of move on. Okay, I got to find my own fans. I got to figure out who's in, who's going to be into my music. When I meet people that are into my music, I got to maybe develop some kind of some kind of relationship with them, right? Uh, music fan to art art creator, right? And so, uh, in a roundabout way, I hope that I kind of answered your question. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. You got to let people know what you're doing if you want them to find out about it. Uh, but you know, there's, there's that fine line that you always have to walk to as being not, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, come check out my band guy. But you also need to walk the line where yeah. if it comes up, like, what do you do? You got to let people know in conversation, yeah. Yeah. this is what I do. You should check me out. That's and a, then that's let a them, really good point let them take make. it from there. And can I make one, one point? Uh, of course. I think that, yeah, I think that, um, some musicians, going back to the music end of it, they also might be hesitant to say, "Hey, you know, add add me or follow me on social media or follow, listen to me, listen to my music here or there, or even go to my website and buy my song or whatever." That's just kind of part part of the business, you know. If you if you want to you want to have a day job and just pay for all your music production, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, um, but it would be cool if you had maybe a little bit of income from your music to help finance the art that you're going to create if you don't necessarily kind of a, are a full-time musician. You know? that's, that's a good point right there. You can't be afraid to ask people to follow you on social media yeah. and uh, let them know where to listen to your and, music. And, and actually the point that I, I wanted to make is that create good content. Like a, Try to take your time and craft beautiful songs, beautiful, pretty melodies, and then let the music, let the music bring people in. Let the music do the talking for you. Uh, you kind of do your, your promotional stuff. I think people are going to kind of come across that music because we all discover music by chance. And then, you know, and so that's, that's a big part of it. You know? Yeah, definitely, man. I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. So uh, I got a few more questions for you here. The next one is what is a, hardship and a highlight that you care to share with uh, the uncontained audience? Well, I'd have to say most of the hardships in my life have been just completely unrelated to music, you know? Okay. Um, and I know that uh, life in the United States is not always easy. It's a really tough place. It's a lot of tough neighborhoods to grow up, grow up in. And I, I live in LA. It's a lot of tough neighborhoods. I grew up in a tough neighborhood in, in northeast LA, you know, my old my oldest brother was a gangster. Um, you know, uh, I come from a, um, you know, 
maybe a lot of people can relate to this. My dad left when I was a young kid. It wasn't easy for my mom. It was crazy in my house. I lived in a tough neighborhood. I, so, you know, going to your question, really, most of the hardships that I have encountered in my life came in the past and were unrelated to music. So, um, but... Okay. But, we don't need to dive into them if you don't want to. Yeah, then. well, I mean, I just I could say that, you know, you have to want to learn uh, about how to become a better person and learn about this world and learn about what you do want what you want to do in this in this in your life. You have to find things of interest. Those things of interest are going to help you overcome obstacles and hardships, right? Yeah. It helps you focus on something positive. So, I mean, even if you if you run across hardships in music, like nobody's attending the last 10 gigs that I performed or nobody's buying my stuff or um, but in either case, perseverance and hanging in there and not taking no for an answer and being committed and, ha- and living with some conviction. It's like, a, you know, the over, the, that has helped me, that focus on this positive thing of, of beautiful music and uh, something that kind of liberates my spirit. Being able to focus on positive things like that, you know, helped me overcome hardships. Uh, yeah, that's actually great advice right there too. So yeah. have that outlet for where you can focus on something positive instead yeah. of dwelling on the negative, uh, or take that negative energy and put it towards something positive. I like that. I like that. So you may have already told us, but what is a highlight that you care to share? Um, this whole period of, uh, over the past three years that I've kind of just become working on my own to get better at what I'm doing. Um, being what I feel is really fortunate that what I, I what I consider nice music is really coming out of me. Yeah. That that I could that I could sit down that I have the confidence that I, that I know I could sit down and out of nowhere out of nothing I know I can write a good song if I put the time into it and then beyond that the whole realm of everything like where did I where did I find this commitment where did I find this discipline that I never had when I was younger where did I find like yeah I finally like matured I'm finally a more mature person that could apply that maturity to music. Like I'm at a stage of my life where all this little period, like how did this happen to me? How did I get here? <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. My mentor, how did I meet him? How did I, it's an honor for me to sing in that gospel choir. Like, so this little pre- period is really the highlight of my creative life, whether it's doing music in the past or doing music now, or whether it's am- the ambition of wanting to be a screenwriter or dabbling in stand-up comedy as a creative person. Yeah, it's like this. It's this more recent period where I have all these beautiful pop songs emer- just emerging from me. You know, I'm, I'm going to release two songs that we've already recorded. I'm working with my producer on another song, and I told her in 2021 we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna kind of come up even harder with some even better songs in 2021. So it's like um, like so. How did I get here? Like, wow, I'm so fortunate to have this amazing producer, Sandy, who's like phenomenal, and the band that she's brought together. So it's really this, this brief period of my life over the past three years where I've learned a lot, where I've had discipline to become better, and all these people that I'm working with and helping me out, teaching me a lot of music wisdom, schooling me, and just be, and it's all I give thanks. I meditate every morning, and I oh, give nice. thanks. I thank the Creator, thank Mother Earth. I will always think positive. I will attract all that is positive. I try to 
think positive for other people of all ethnicities, of all political views. I just like be a wise human being. And, and I, a lot of that maturity and all this music has kind of come over the past few years for me in my life. You know? That's that's the highlight. That That's amazing, man. It sounds like you're living a highlight right now. And I'm <laughs> sure that uh, you'll have many more to come as well. Yeah. So I got just two more questions left for you before uh, we wrap this up here. Now, you're putting out two new songs this year. Now, what do you want people to take away and remember about the songs when they hear them or what do you want them to feel when they hear those songs um i think i think that my songs sound nice you know okay and i think uh they're good songs and what i want people to take away the message that i'm trying to impart in my lyrics uh, i'm an older guy but i'm so i'm not writing like little love songs I'm not writing really the romantic songs. And no no offense to anybody that wants to do that, you know. I'm a mature, little bit older person, and I come from a place of wisdom. So I'm like, okay, what kind of message, a, a beautiful message of positivity and love and wisdom can I put into my lyrics and my messaging? And then how can I put that together with a pretty melody that sounds nice? How can I put that together with a good hook, right, that steps it up a yeah. And how could I craft it all into a nice song? So um, I hope that when people come and see me perform, that they're going to kind of, you know, get a good sense that that's what I'm about. You know, I want to be a, a good human being. I want to bring a positive vibe. When I go to see a concert and I'm, and I'm blown away and I walk out of that and I'm, I'm like, hi, I'm like watching this great music artist perform, right? At the Hollywood yeah. Bowl or some other venue, wherever it is. It's a great, it's a great cultural experience. I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm like, I'm like euphoric about this, the beauty of this whole experience with other people, with the artists. And, and when you walk out of there, you have like, you have a sense of like energy or excitement and like, wow, you know, I just experienced something beautifully culturally with a community of people with this cool artist. And I feel good. I feel good about, you know, I could have a, uh, it's a tough world that we live in. Definitely. It's a tough country. It's a tough country that we live in. So, and when I walk out of beautiful cultural experiences, whether it's live music of a popular music artist or like a jazz artist, like recently I went to go see a Cecile McLaurin Savant, who's like the best jazz singer in the world, right here, like two blocks from my place at the, at the, the, bar, the Catalina Bar and Grill. And I got a chance okay. to see her two nights in a row. And I got Very a chance cool. to meet her. She's the best. Now she's blowing up, but she's the best jazz singer in the world. And I was like, I could go and see a big artist at the Hollywood Bowl, or I could go here and meet the artist who's a world-class artist. So I walk out of there thinking, I just experienced something beautiful culturally. Yeah. And it makes it, and I feel good about life right now. It made me feel good, and it's a beautiful thing. People deserve to feel good in life. And if I could give a little bit of that to some people, I think that would be pretty cool. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. And I love those small, intimate shows, yeah. too. I, I, I love going to oh the big God. rock concerts oh. or big concerts as well. But there's something about being oh in God. a small club, oh like watching a band or even a comedian perform yeah. and just get oh that God. up close and personal interaction. It's just yeah. uh, I'm. That's one of the things that I can't wait for this whole COVID thing to be yeah. over for yeah. is to be able to go back to shows. We need it. We need it. <laughs> we need the music. We need each other. We need uh, the communal experience of being with those artists. 
And, you know, like um, another, uh, you know, talk about positive, positive cultural experiences, uh, Kamasi Washington, who's like the best jazz saxophone player in the world. He's from L.A. Okay. He's from L.A., uh, Kamasi Washington, uh, Cameron Graves, who's one of his friends from also from L.A. Uh, he's, a, he's like a virtuoso pianist. So at local gigs, I've had a chance to meet uh, these, all these jazz artists um, and meet them and see them blow my mind. And so, um, you know, and it's just like phenomenal. And, and those intimate shows, right? It's like you got to get out yeah. and, and find these great artists that are local, that are now blowing up. Because Kamasi Washington, the sax player, ended up performing with the, with the Florence and the Machine at the Hollywood Bowl, right? Oh, oh really? Right. So, and Cameron Graves is like all over the world playing his phenomenal, like contemporary modern jazz music. And, you know, and then now Cecile McLaurin Savant's blowing up. But whether I go to the Hollywood Palladium or the Hollywood Bowl to see big artists, or whether I go locally, it's still a cultural event, you know, right? And, and it's like, yeah, you're right, man. I think that we're all really hungry to get back to that. And hopefully things are going to get better. Yeah. I actually heard this. This was really cool. Then I'll progress in the conversation here. But after, I think it was the bubonic plague, like after everybody had the plague, that's when the Renaissance period started. Okay. That's interesting. So it's like after everybody had to be quarantined, everybody had to be locked down and couldn't go out, have entertainment, couldn't do anything. This whole, the whole scene blew up and came out with all these different writers, different performers and stuff like that. So I'm not saying we're coming up on another Renaissance period, but it'd be cool if, uh, you know, something came up after this. So that's just, that's, that's a, that's an interesting point, you know, because I think that, I know uh, a lot of uh, talk about hardships. I know a lot of like small small business owners that have worked so hard to follow to pursue a dream, which is really risky and scary. They start these yeah. small businesses. Some of them failed and some of them succeeded. But now to go through this, right? And and then in, in conversations with those people, we're all trying to maintain a level of positivity and perseverance, and we're all having conversations like. Even like local farm, like local gardens and farms that want to feed people healthy, organic food, right? So I'm having conversations with all these people, and we all kind of get a sense of that. It's like you know what, we need to we need to gear up to build community community building to create awareness about what we're doing to kind of unify with what we're doing because we need to find a better place moving forward in this world. And then also, um, there's an organization close to my place here. I'm pointing over there across the street from my place. There's a place called the center and, and they, they serve people that are experiencing homelessness. Right. And I, I work closely with them and then they're part, they're partnered okay. with food cycle, LA food cycle, LA goes around to restaurants and markets that, and they rescue food. And then they kind of give it to kitchens that are serving people in need and they're, they're doing positive things. So we're having all these conversations and doing positive things. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you a million bucks that I don't really have <laughs> uh, that a lot of artists and a lot of music artists that we like and what we follow are also on that same page. Yeah. Right. And, and then uh, at the center, they invited me food cycle and the center invited me to a holiday meal that was prepared by a chef with food that they had rescued, a beautiful, delicious meal. And there was a, there was a gentleman there who sings in a really, one of my favorite bands right now. And they're from New York and 
you know who they are, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to say the name of the singer who was there. Okay. Right. Fair enough. You don't have to name drop if you don't want to. That's right. But I'll tell you once we get offline because I'm just like kind of blown away. So he was there because he, you know, he volunteers there, and nobody knows. He never tells. He never tells people about it. You know, it's like he's a very humble guy. He's a very enlightened guy. So we ended up exchanging some text messages, and we were gonna. And we were going to meet up, and we were going to have, we were going to kick around ideas uh, before the pandemic about having like a renaissance or having uh, an enlightenment period. And he kind of used a, a term that I forgot, uh, some kind of like, it was like a renewal or something. He used a certain term, but it was kind of like that. You know, let's have a, okay, a, a, an enlightenment period. So he used a certain term like that. And I'm like this guy, and I was like, this guy's on the same page, and it's like we. He was he was gearing up to release some some new records and to do like okay. a big tour of the festivals and all that stuff and so that kind of that kind of got him that kind of slowed down. We were gonna meet up and have like lunch and, and kick around ideas and and uh, and just on that positive vibe, right? So I'll bet you like just like him, there's a lot of artists that are on the same page that we are. The Renaissance man, you know, let's come out of this and do our best that we can to be better human beings. Yeah, definitely. And they say all like, uh, well, they say all comedy comes from pain, but a lot of art comes from pain too. So and suffering. So going through this, everybody together is going (laughs) to come up with something. So uh, I I don't know exactly what it will be, how big it will be, but I have a feeling there's something on the horizon. Um, I... I do have one final question for you, though, today. It's been great talking to you. I've enjoyed this uh, conversation. Very cool learning about uh, about H.B. Barnum and what he's done and all the, the experience there is just amazing. Uh, before I jump into the final question, though, where can people find you uh, on the World Wide Web? What's your corner of the Internet? Um, well, you can look for me on Instagram, Sylvan. You search my name, Sylvan Dela Cruz. You're going to find me with it's at sylvan.delacruz uh, on Instagram. Uh, I've got a music page, Sylvan Dela Cruz Music. Uh, you can go to sylvandelacruz.com. Um, I've got a, twi- a, a Twitter page with a very small following, at <laughs> Sylvan Dela Cruz. And you can find me at any of those uh, social media sites. All right. Now, as I said, it's been great talking to you. I got that one final question for you. It's the title question of the show. Sylvan de la Cruz, how do you live uncontained? Okay, so um, when you kind of when you kind of grow up in a tough neighborhood with a tough family, and you experience a lot of like really really kind of tough and harsh things. Yeah. Um, if you kind of manage to get through that, it kind of gives you some confidence and some courage. You know? And I think that uh, a, 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 that I've had a chance to mature after that. Um, I think I bring all that maturity and that more that disciplined approach and I live uncontained by making a decision about what I want to do, what I want to pursue, uh, committing myself to that, not worrying about what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. But I I really do live uncontained by just focusing on what I want to do and doing it well and just doing everything that I can to make it happen. Perfect, man. It's been a blast talking to you. I got that one final thing for you to do, though, today, Sylvan, and that is sign off the show. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show today? I'm Sylvan De La Cruz, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Sylvan for joining me on the show, sharing all those great stories. 
And uh, guys, stay safe out there. It's a crazy world right now with all the protests, all the corona flying around. So just be safe and uh, try to be good to one another. And uh, hug a tree or something, please. Please, just, just hug a tree, hug nature, or hug somebody as long do a long distance hug because you can't be hugging during corona unless you know them so um yeah man just just get out there and spread something other than hate that's all i'm saying um but yeah i got one more thing to spread for you that's not kind of kind of kind of dirty but it's the joy of music so get your minds out of the gutters people and uh i got the track that you've been waiting to hear from Sylvan De La Cruz. Thank you for listening, and please, if you enjoyed the show, leave a rating on your favorite podcast player of choice, along with a review, and share it with a friend. But here is Champagne Overflow by Sylvan De La Cruz. <laughs> 